Welcome back, Remarkable Human, to another episode of the Remarkable Me podcast. It's Rima here, and I'm very excited to be recording this new episode, which has been a collaboration. So this is another collaboration, but we'll just dive into the details quite soon. I'll tell you more. A little bit of insights into what is happening with the voice behind the podcast because I want to be as close to you as a human and connect with you as possible and this is my way of kind of giving you a window into my life and who am I besides the podcast. Well, first of all, I'm recording this podcast in the most unusual places and it's quite some fun and challenging to just find a spot to record this in because this is kind of becoming a podcast on the go. So I'm finding places such as the floor, a corner, maybe the wardrobe sometimes to record the podcast. The point is, it's getting quite fun in the places that I'm recording this in. Currently, I've traveled for the past two days because I've moved countries again. I am about to enter a four-day festival. So... I'm quite excited to be having some fun with um, a little bit of work on the side as I'm currently doing. But it's it's always nice to blend things and ah, energize yourself in ways that you don't usually do or you haven't done for too long, maybe. So that is what is happening currently in my in my life. That is what I'm doing. I'm being around friends and family a lot, traveling, um, challenging my idea of what the business is and just being challenged by the whole idea of having a business, a hypno-coaching business. So talking about challenges, today's episode is around designing our lives or redesigning our lives, you know, when we have turning points, when we have challenges that just come and snap us (laughs) and put us in a position of really having to make decisions and changes into our own lives. I was thinking about recording an episode on this topic for quite a while, but I was very hesitant on having it by myself because the best way I've learned so far that is to learn, especially when it comes uh, to life design, is really from other people. And that is because We don't come into the world with a manual, like a life manual on how to make tough decisions or calls or how to act and what you're supposed to do when you have a turning point or when you're very low in your life. So I thought the best way for me to have this episode is by having a guest. So that's what I did. I went out to look for someone that has some really interesting stories and experience to share from and I found Anima. Whilst when I first found Anima's profile, I didn't know as much as I now know after having the actual discussion, I knew that there's depth that I wanted to have a window into. Because what attracted me about her profile was the story behind. The fact that she's not only just a media artist and two times business owner, but also that she navigated her life and different industries such as tech, media and art with a disability and that she had to continuously change directions. So I appreciated the resilience in her story. Now. Currently, she is the owner of a small values first PR agency 
and also an NGO she founded called Vitruvian Vision, which challenges the idea of what we should really be teaching young people as they grow up. Here's what you need to know about this episode. It's an episode that is like a journey in itself because it keeps growing in volume as we dive into the conversation. It's an episode about life, about challenges, about mindset, about turning points and how Anima, in this case, has approached her challenges and her perspective on different, different things. So let's dive into the conversation, shall we? So I guess the fair point to start the discussion would be um, by asking you, what does life design mean to you? And what is your current take on this? Well, I mean, I have always known since I was very young that I'm multifaceted Mm -hmm. and that I naturally want to live my life um, the way I it does me best and it Mm. serves me best and um, in ways that just uh, make me feel good. That's not unusual. Everybody essentially, I guess, wants that. Um, And um, for me, at some point in my life, I found a term for this. So Mm -hmm. I regard myself as a Vitruvian. This is just because the only people always ask me as a child what who do you identify with do you have an idol and I Mm. dislike the whole idea of idols even though I read a lot of books and there were great people but they were not like me not Mm. a single one of them was like me the only person that I felt some kinship with at the beginning was Leonardo da Vinci and but you couldn't say that as a young girl in, in uh, growing up in Austria. They would have thought you're completely crazy. So I was like, I turned my own, I coined my own term for this. And I just call myself a Vitruvian. Now, I don't have a problem with this anymore, obviously. But as a child, it was a bit of a problem. So I'm a Vitruvian. Um, it's not like a scanner. Scanners don't usually go that deep. It's, it's more like really, a, like maybe a, a humanist something like that renaissance person maybe there's different terms for this so naturally life design means for me that if i'm if i find myself in a location or in a situation in life that doesn't make me happy or even worse you know that's just really sickening or toxic i would want to change that um of course even if it's just one thing you want to change it's usually interconnected with other issues or areas so it's not always as simple as it looks. Sometimes it's simple. Um, and the older you get, the more easier the decisions will be um, and the more overview you will have. Um, and yeah, so I would say like, I've always felt multifaceted. I wanted to create a life for myself that, uh, that fit me. And my current take is like, well, I've cultivated the, the whole topic of changing, um, of of changing to become myself for so long that it's like it's a a very organic part of me um that said the goal was always to have peace and have my own place where I would feel good in life and um in many ways I achieved that after like in, in my late 20s and that place is inside of me but uh, of course, outside, there's many factors as well that we can change. So 
I usually do it like this. I just pick a goal and then work my way backwards and, and approach things very strategically and totally immerse myself into the thing. Um, yeah, so that's my take on it. But it's, it hasn't really changed. I think I would say maybe the approach has refined with the more knowledge I accumulated and it's become a faster process. Also, there's become, you know, uh, over time, there aren't a lot of situations you will get yourself into that are really bad necessarily because when you're young, you're naive, you don't understand a lot of things that are around you. When you're older, it's easier. Still, you can end up in a situation that's not ideal, but then you know how to change it fairly fast usually, unless it's a very complex problem and it's not on you. So there can be some problems where really you can't do much at all. You can only view it as a long-term project and then solve the thing. But yeah. So yeah. two things stood out for me and I noted them down because I'm taking notes. Okay. Um, one was that you said that you were reading all these books and you mm -hmm. didn't really, they didn't feel like yourself. And then you also said that you were changing to become yourself. So what does what does it feel like to be yourself? Well, obviously, it's pleasant. Okay. Um, so, um, or something resonates at a deeper level. I mean, I don't know. This, this is a hard question. <laughs> like, why do some people like the color yellow? You know, why do some people uh, like corgis? Uh, and some other people hate dogs and just love cats. I mean... It, by the way, these things have uh, shifted very much over my life. So I've changed in between certain things quite a bit, superficial things. Um, so <laughs> this is a really hard question. I, I would just say, I guess you have certain genetics and you have a certain build. You have a certain, I don't know, some people are just, uh, this, is, this is hard. I mean, the genetics are one thing that's fairly rational. So you can say if you're built like an athlete, you will prefer certain activities, right? But mm. for the mind, this is, I don't know, it's hard. You just look at many different things and you find something that you like. And that, to analyze that, that's very difficult. And plus, it's, as I say, it's not a static thing either. Um, do, you, yeah. do you recall a moment when after going through different things or maybe reading things or maybe a challenge, there was a moment where you, you felt that this feels like myself. This feels a bit like home. I feel like home with myself. Was there a moment that you recall or did it, did it happen gradually for you? It happened gradually. Mm -hmm. um, I had this sometimes when I found a book where the author would say things that I personally feel are true to a very mm -hmm. high degree. Didn't mm -hmm. happen a lot though at the beginning. Um, yeah, and then just basic things like clothes, textures, tastes, colors, uh, yeah, stuff like that. I, I, I focus on what is important. I think I'm a very basic person in many things. Um, I do also think most people don't see me like that but I, I like to think that I'm actually a really simple person so yeah and I think these things make you happy because uh, if you eat something nice or if you have 
feel some fabric that feels incredibly pleasant or you listen to a beautiful piece of music. I mean, this is, yeah, it's a matter of taste, but it's also something maybe that fits you or doesn't fit. I mean, yeah, I, I had that, but I don't, ah, yes, let me just, yeah, there were a couple of things, but they're usually music related more than books related even, there were. I remember the very first time I saw a Billy Idol video, I was like, not just because he was handsome, but because the whole energy was just like so wild and so strong at the same time and somehow controlled within a musical rhythm kind of like construct. Um, and also Jimi Hendrix, the first time I heard Jimi Hendrix, my body went into shock because it was so dissonant for me. I grew up with classical music and some pop and rock. So yeah, pop and rock were sometimes dissonant to my classically trained ear, but um, they kind of had like some, it, it was not so brutal. But when I heard Jimi Hendrix for the first time, I had an out of body experience. This was something, this was another level. This was spiritual, this was amazing. So yeah, I guess these, these two moments were quite, quite that, that somehow belonged to me. And it, I, think, I think if you're looking for moments like that, it's always, it always has to do with music and sometimes lyrics as well. N not books because books are too complicated. They just provide information, but certain types of lyrics, even if I am not a different person, like for example, Sylvia Plath, I dislike, I detest this whole negative shit, this culture around her. But she has brilliant lyrics that are like songwriting, like song lyrics, you know? I mean, she was part of this beat poets thing, uh, like culture at the time anyways, or close to that. So that was brilliant. And then there's some lyrics by other artists. I, so I, I, I would say summarizing music, certain music styles and certain lyrical styles that belonged to me and uh yeah so if i hear correctly what you said is that you found yourself in between different things gradually as in yeah. in music in different things that you've seen around and experienced around in lyrics um in things that you've read and things that you've heard so that kind of led to you feeling more like yourself um rather than just everything happening overnight and you realizing that ah, actually I like who I am and I know who I am. Um, I yeah, want to know it's a process. Individuation is a process. You know, yeah. I mean, I think now that they're finally waking up, all the psychologists are getting to a point where they finally start to realize then the I, the me is a multitude of things. Yes, thank you. I knew that 30 years ago. You know, I, I don't know why it took them so long. Sorry mm. to interrupt. No, 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 that's fine. That, that's a, a good point. So um, talking about that me that has been shaped along the years, could you please tell me more about when you were kind of designing your life in a way that you wanted or felt pleasant and close to your authentic self to whatever that meant at any given point in time? What were some flags um, that basically told you in a way that things need to change or I need to do something else because I want to design something else and be intentional about my life. Well, I'm always, I think I've even, 
I was a bit insecure as everyone who is younger. But still, despite that, even as a young person, I think I've always had this, I'm kind of really chill inside. <laughs> so when I'm for myself and I read a book or I'm among nice people, I'm chill. But when I'm among people who are not nice and actively bullying, wh whoever that is, then of course your mind at some point, because this is unnatural and it is toxic, will start to act out. So you will have... Um, we just feel bad and or maybe get angry or I don't know. And even though these are natural emotions um, at this stage, I guess if, if you kept that for too long, it would get really bad. But but I mean, they're natural emotions, but it's not a pleasant thing to do. It doesn't always have to be super pleasant you know what i mean I, I i like competition and that can sometimes be hard and things like that but but you still want to have a feeling of good inside you know mm -hmm. or at least neutral and so the first sign is when you start feeling uneasy or nervous or or or, or angry or something like that um and and then of course you would want to change it because who wants to be in a situation where they are being harassed mobbed uh just not being tolerated you know what i mean and mm. uh, that's that's when it starts yeah so and for you changed if i understand correctly your emotions are kind of indicators pointing out that you know even if it's discomfort that is related to some sort of goal or something it still has to have some good foundation universally or generally speaking because yeah. if something has an underlying kind of um negativity stress um or bullying or some sort of harassment or some sort of sort of negativity that would kind of diminish or belittle um you as a human then that is not just me not just me i've always uh i'm, I'm very very strongly uh, oriented towards the community now and have been in the last 15 years at least mm -hmm. but even before that i have never liked when the light was diminished in people. Mm -hmm. I always loved when the light was brought out in people um, because it just makes everything more alive. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, so being in a situation that's in some kind of way um, destructive, I don't mm -hmm. like it. I don't like it. When it's natural, yeah, because nature can be destructive, but that's nature, that's not human. And mm -hmm. human nature is disputable. <laughs> what is natural and what not. I think we've far strayed from from the path in in the last well probably forever but yeah you have sent me some very interesting information about your life experiences and kind of your biography in, in some way um, mm -hmm. and i've been very impressed to see um, different life events uh, and i'm not going to mention them because i want you to kind of tell me more since these are your experiences but could you please tell us more about some key turning points in your life that were significant to how your life unfolded afterwards yeah so first let me say i sent you the certainly a fairly comprehensive mm. but very mild version of this i can go much harder much deeper 
Um, but I wanted to spare you that because you're young and you probably have clients to deal with, with stuff. And, you know, I know how hard it is when you actually have to work with people all the time. I didn't want to overburden you artificially and it wasn't necessary either. So, um, yeah, so you were asking me about some key, key events sort of that recommended in my life, uh, happened in my life that uh, made me grow in this sense. Well, obviously, um, I grew up in a family, I grew up in Austria, and Austria is at the surface a very rich country um, that's fairly evolved, um, at, but underneath the surface, not so much, it's very patriarchal, and there's a lot of things, at least at my time when I grew up, you couldn't do as a girl, or you shouldn't have done, <laughs> I just always ignored it. In addition to this, as I said, like I, my family, they're basically very well-educated, wealthy predators. They weren't always wealthy, at least some part of the family wasn't. My part of the family wasn't always rich, but we had very rich people in the family and very poor ones. And I'm an empath. I am built, I'm built like an athlete in a sense. My, my genes are like this, but my mind, even though I like competition, I would not I would find it distasteful to just do a lot of things that pe many people do regularly. And my parents weren't just regular bad people, you know, like doing occasional stuff. They were just really bad. And I was lucky I had my gran uh, who was very empathic, really strong and didn't take shit from anyone. Still, she was an older woman that lived in a patriarchal society so it was a constant fight and it was certainly not an easy position for her um and um so she was basically my parents really because my parents uh it wasn't like they didn't do a good job they just completely utterly failed um at being parents in many 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 aspects and i knew very early on i had to get away from this because it was toxic so when it took me a long time at 21 and I finally made the cut, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard. So I was surrounded by a lot of negativity in many ways, people trying to, that tried to drag me into thinking and feeling like they did somehow that I found anything from disgusting to just shocking to, you know, and they didn't, they didn't succeed. Um, because I knew also due to my gran, who was probably the only, the only pedagogue I've ever seen as a true pedagogue, because many study this and try to manipulate people with it and think they know how things go. That's disgusting because that's not how you should approach the job. But my gran, she really, really had fought like a lioness to have this job. In specific, she loved children. It was the last words she said before she died because I felt her death was coming. So despite having no money, I went to Austria to, to spend, you know, because I felt she was going to die, to spend time with her. It was literally the last thing she said. And I'm strong, but my granddad's still very, very close to my heart because she didn't die so long ago. And literally the last thing she said, she was like, she was sitting there completely abused by these pieces of shit that I left behind and I felt so guilty that I couldn't help her you know I didn't have enough money to break her out I tried to break her out but 
she just trusted them and they abused her like I predicted they would. And she sat there alone, abandoned. And she said to me like, you know, I've always loved you children. I've always loved watching your children play. You gave me so much pleasure. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know it just, this hurt me so much when she left. I knew it was coming and death is natural, but she was my mother, my father, everybody. And she always fiercely protected me because she knew I had the right mindset. And I learned a lot from her. So she taught me the important things to love and to be strong. And even in the face of adversity. And yeah, my gran, that, that was, she was the most important thing in my life, I guess, at many, many, many different stages. Even though we fought like everybody does. I mean, even in a good family, you know, kids and, and parents will always fight. And um, so I knew very early because of this very bad environment with my parents, um, I knew very early that the only thing I should listen to is myself. And um, so that's the only indicator, as long as I want something good, obviously. And, and I think that's a generic thing that you can say. You are your only compass, you know. It, it, there, there's, it, it always boils down to this. Maybe God, or maybe if you believe in a guiding divine spirit, then that's another um, kind of like thing you need to look to. Uh, but otherwise, other than that, you are the only thing that matters. You're your own compass. And that's, that's, that's no one else is allowed my point of view to tell you anything you know you must make your own decisions it's good to have people that give you intel people who help you make a decision but that's it so that's the first thing i learned is independent of all opinions that took a while of course and then of course i read books we had a lot of books lying around not necessarily my parents books my grandfather's books he was an aspie so the radical opposite of my grand, but she always wanted a smart man and a handsome man. And, she, and after the war, there wasn't much choice and he was smart and handsome, um, but an Aspie. So it was a bit difficult, but he had many books and I just read my way up the bookshelf. So I was very small when I started, eight or nine. And then I just grabbed all these books and I, I, just, I, I just read them and they were formative. And these were books by like Viktor Frankl, like the concentration camp survivor and other people. And uh, these books were formative. And then uh, I had a Chinese master at 21. And that experience intensely expanded my spirituality and also my physical, the way I felt in my body. I felt good already in my body, but I was still very clumsy. I mean, I was young. So I, I, I you know, my, my coordination wasn't the best, even though I'd been a ballerina as a child, but being a ballerina and real coordination, like in a sense of dance moves, I wanted to learn that. So I did a lot of dance courses and that didn't work so well, but through Qigong, fun enough, these slow movements that are very, very complex to learn these routines to do properly, that helped me a lot. So yeah, summarizing books, my gram, um, the, the, Chinese martial arts, and yeah, in a very not good way. Um, <clears throat> that was not necessary. Um, my parents, um, that's, yeah, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for sharing this.
very personal story. Um, I could hear your voice softening um, as you were talking about your gran. And um, I can only imagine what you've been through, really, um, because I haven't been there. I haven't been in your shoes. Um, so I imagine it's been quite tough for you for seeing all these things, experiencing them, going through them, and also seeing that someone dear to you is going through so much pain as well and feeling like you can't really, really help them as you put it and you couldn't take her out of there. Um, yeah, I did that, that more than the rest because when the other stuff happened, I was young mm. and I was strong and I was malleable and it didn't hurt me that much. But my grand, seeing my grand in this exact same situation, being so naive, thinking they would be different. She should have known better, but she was an old woman. And I really thought, I hope for a while, they would, with all the money they have, not just her, my father, her son, but other people, other sons and just other people. I just thought they hoped they would at least, at least be civil and at least somewhat to a very small percentage reciproc what she'd done for them and what she'd sacrificed for them. But it's all in the mindset, I guess. Certain people you can't teach and certain people will not wake up. And it's, it's just tragic. So my grand died two years ago, so I'm still, it's still raw. You know, I, I don't feel sad about the death because it was bound to happen. She was an old lady and she was quite old. She was in her nineties when she died. So that's already a high, you know, like a, an achievement, I guess. But, but, but that is just constantly, it's currently a topic because she's still with me somehow, you know, and um, it's, it's just, I found that so sad and it made me angry as well, very much. Sorry, but go on to your next question. No need to be sorry. Uh, please feel comfortable to share as little or as much as you want. Um, I'm taking notes because your story, kind of what I'm hearing, um, is a lot of unfairness rooted in human dynamics. So I wanted to ask you, out of these experiences and other experiences, what have you learned about human interaction and yourself as a human? I have a bit of a bizarre mind. My mind is sometimes, not very often, way too optimistic. Um, I, I have this kind of very biased position. On one hand, because of the spiritual development I went through and this complete detachment from the ego, you know, living in the, in the super ego for a very long time and my art being focused on this, um, I, I, I like, I still like people. I've always liked people. I'm an ambivert, um, not an extrovert. I, I, I love being around people and working with people. The problem is, however, that we are living in a world where so much of human interaction is becoming so toxic. And some people really truly are shit. It's how it is, unfortunately. And I don't, some people, I don't even want to dig deeper, you know, and find out why they're acting like they are. That, that I'm, 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 I'm constantly torn, I would say. I always try to you know, achieve positive win-win situations as much as I can. At the same time, it is because I have this kind of like 
MetaMind. So for me, a lot of things that don't count, that count for other people, just don't count for me and vice versa. Um, like for example, status, okay? Many people worry about this or what the neighbor might think of them. And I say, well, you know, your neighbor is shit or your neighbor doesn't matter. <laughs> the only thing you should be worrying about is yourself. Still, they base their life and their decisions on it or, or success. A lot of people, I've known so many super rich people as well, like billionaires, and they were never happy. They were always more and more greedy. And I don't understand. And when, when money wasn't enough, they went to energy and energy malpractice. You know, they, they just needed more and more. I don't understand that. And that toxifies, I would say, or just destroys a lot of human interaction. Human interaction should be about, okay, so I meet this new person and it's an individual. So it will be different from what I know, maybe similar to some people, maybe different from some people I know. And I'm interested in that person because it's a living, breathing human being. It's the same with people and with animals. <laughs> Sorry, I have this perspective that I just like, I try to want to remain open and I just want to meet people. And very often just, I mean, people react to me in ways like they think I'm immature. I'm certainly not. I've undergone such a long process and so many deep thoughts that I'm certainly not immature. I've constantly kept my childlike naivety and innocence alive. And that was not easy because I understand it's very necessary for, for keeping a flexible mind that is able to learn new things, um, disregarding whatever else might happen to you. And um, so people think I'm either immature because of my openness or they think I'm crazy or they think, I don't know, um, stupid. <laughs> and I'm none of these things. Um, in fact, I'm very, 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 I'm thinking a lot and I don't hate my thoughts and I'm not scared of it. And I don't have a toxic negative inner dialogue because I keep the fluidity and I love my psyche and it's vast. And I just, you know, I mean, I think that we have a lot of toxicity because people don't deal with their psyche and they should. And there's not a lot of good teachers around. Um, hopefully you, you are, or you will be one. Um, and, um, and other people too, but we need more of those. And yeah, it's, it's a bit of a problem when you have a positive idea of people, generally speaking, and the reality is very often very different. And there are some things, of course, that would make it understandable why human interaction is so toxic at times. Like, you know, everybody has a bad day. A lot of people grow up in massive trauma, like much, much worse than mine. Like, for example, sexual trauma. I, I don't, I've seen what it does to people. And to be honest, when it comes to child abuse, I, I, I understand when a person would become a complete monster, but they usually don't become monsters. They just become difficult or, or fear-based or stuff like that, you know? But, but I would understand that. But it, it seems to me that the people who are the most toxic, they don't have the reasons really, you know? Because I've seen people who have survived immense shit and they're kind and they're nice and they're, they're you know, conscious. and. It's, I, I don't understand the world, to be honest, but I try my best to, you know, anticipate positive things 
at the same time, try to calculate the worst possible outcome, but still remain positive inside. And, and that's how I, I view human interaction and, and being human in this world. Is that somehow making sense to you? It is. Um, it is and it is not at the same time because you've touched on so many points. I'm trying to connect and kind of figure out more of what you're thinking. Um, you've touched on quite a few interesting ideas, anything from how sometimes we try to really understand, like, where does the mess come from? Where does the toxicity come from? Where does the attitude come from? And sometimes it, it feels very hard to explain what has the other person gone through to have a psyche that is making them act a certain way? And you also pointed out something interesting about you're saying that a lot of the people um, don't deal with their psyche. Mm -hmm. um, so do you think that that is one of the sources um, of why so many people um, get to be first disconnected with themselves, second, maybe a better version of themselves, and third, um, a better or kind of human being? Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you pretty much exactly. Of course, this is a was a complex process, but I cannot tell you exactly where the problem is coming from. This might sound like a dogma, but it's actually not because it's for me, this is very recent. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I also, I don't usually like to take certain terms that people throw around because they don't mean the same thing to me, but I'll try to speak in a language that most people will hopefully understand. We have the mess we're in because we are living in a patriarchal system. It could have been in some way similar if we'd grown up or we'd lived or it had a matriarchal system right from the start, but likely not because of the biology that is slightly different between men and women. And it, 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 it makes men and women slightly different. It doesn't mean that every woman's gonna wanna have a child and will be supportive and caring, but it, it, we're talking about the big, big global population, okay? So the problem was that at some point we entered a patriarchal system and men tend to be very goal-focused. This is also something Camille Paglia, the, the famous feminist, got so much hate for. That's one of the smartest books I've ever read. This, this woman is, is bloody brilliant. She says it like, she says equality, yes, but biologically there's a tiny difference. And that difference expands. So we, we're in a patriarchal system. In this patriarchal system, higher, faster, stronger, and a certain kind of, I would say, polygamy to a degree. Um, some of it was suppressed by religion, but let's say these things that were more central, more at the front, because men had the say, and this grew, and a lot of women unfortunately played along. And as this grew, we entered uh, the age of industrialization. So unfortunately, then we had the added factors to all of this of making faster, stronger, whatever, or strong under, in brackets, but faster, uh, quicker, more possible through mechanical uh, or is a technical transformation. And these things, unfortunately, isolated people. It stressed people more and more out because uh, the people in power wanted profits. They wanted to, to have uh, efficient workers. 
And um, I do believe in, 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 you know, working hard and everything, but there's a limit. And industrialization has become so toxic. Industrialization has become the worst. That mixed with capitalism has become the worst of the male principle that maybe wouldn't be toxic. It would just be different. But unfortunately, the greed for money, the greed for more um, became stronger. And at the same time, men were told to disregard their emotion because to make fast and strong and hard decision, you need to switch off certain emotions like caring, building, long-term. And as that grew and everybody tried to adapt to this, this became incredibly toxic and more and more people, men and women, but mainly men, were suppressing their emotions that meant not dealing with their shadow self, their id, their basic primal things that was all pushed in the global subconscious. Um, for the women, it meant they had to provide the emotions and, and the support. And this was very destructive. At the same time, they didn't have any rights. So now, now in the current situation, we have this situation where people are slowly, very slowly waking up and they realize they need to deal with their psyche because that's the only thing that belongs to them. That's, that's tied to your, you know, that's the only thing that helps you get through life. And we are in the medieval times when it comes to psychology. And to be honest, from all I know, and starting this early, I wanted, I always wanted, before art, I wanted to do work with psychology, you know, it was my thing, I wanted to do this. And then I saw what the reality is like, and how many people, you know, th this thing has existed since I would say, 1890, 1900. Um, and people probably, I mean, th there have been psychologists before pre pre psychologists, but the point is, and say, say before Jeanne or Chacour, these people, you can't even start to talk about this um, and they were very basic but since then not so much has evolved yeah there's biological psychology there's science etc but science is biased science is highly biased by the mindsets of the people that deal with it by money by by all kinds of things so again you know no one really knows or very few people really know unless they're very spiritual and that requires very often requires complete detachment from society people don't know how to handle their psyche. There's not a lot of teachers and we're now in this bullshit situation. Then add massive trauma. There's so much trauma in families, so much child trauma. Uh, it's much more than most people perceive because they, they usually they have a normal life. They don't explore or have to explore as many subcultures as I have. Trust me there, we have a major bloody issue. And then climate change, all these things, they happen because people don't know themselves. They, they are hollow, even if they have billions, you know, this is how it became the shit pile that we're now dealing with. It's all connected and it all comes from the psyche. I understand, I understood this very early as a child. I understand, and this is why I work with archetypes. And this is why I constantly teach people in different experiments to be themselves and to not be afraid of their inside, even if it's an ugly thought or something, as long as you don't want to do something bad to another person, you're all fine. You can have the worst feelings. It's not going to be pleasant, you know what I mean? But don't suppress it because that's what the first thing people do. They have, they, they don't understand what they're dealing with, their minds, their heads, their thoughts, and they have no one. They're swimming in a big black soup of, of mess and, and, and the they, they try to escape it because they're afraid and it, and that makes it worse. So that's how it 
became the, the way to become a better person, because that was also something you asked, is you have to do the work. I was lucky because in my life, due to circumstances and also due to a choice I probably made to some degree, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't um, justify what some people did in my life because that's free will and you should never choose the bad side, even if you have the option, but okay. So it doesn't justify something I experienced that other people did to me when I was still young or something, but um, you know, I was lucky in this sense that I got exposed to, to Viktor Frankl and the hardcore thinkers very, very early. So while other people were kids, my brain structures itself in very, very unusual ways. And I just, as I grew up, I learned, I learned from these people. Um, and that gave me a, an advantage, you know, because most people start dealing with their inside when they're 40 or 50, when the kids are grown up, you know, this is bad. This is way too late. And that is why I've, my dream is that schools everywhere would have martial arts um, archetype. I wouldn't say, man, not, not really Jungian version, but maybe a post-feminist um, type of um, archetype training or something like that so maybe like a Jean Shinoda Bolin you know who wrote like god a go, a goddesses in every woman and, and and gods in everyday men um these books something like that but a little bit more positive because you can tell she's a she was a therapist of the old old thing so some of it I don't agree with because it's not positive enough I feel but but a lot this thing should be taught to everybody as early as possible. Kids should have the option to wear as many crazy dresses and outfits as they want. And for some American people who are right wing and might listen to this, this is not going to say that they, they will be trans and they, everybody wants to be trans. This is a crazy idea. I don't know where people get this from. Kids are always fluid. They're neither mm. male or female. It develops very late, this conscious, you know, mess. Some people know early, but most people are fluid until they're 13, 14, 15. And sure, you can indoctrinate them at this age in the wrong way too. But to have to let kids be free and teach them that they can wear anything potentially, as long as it doesn't hurt another person physically, is it's is something that's not taught. We need archetype training we need martial arts because it's the fastest and the best and the most optimized over thousands of years the, the most optimized way to approach your body and coordination so with these two things alone you would breed people who are superhuman very early and so a superhuman in the sense that they can fully live the potential you know i was lucky i got exposed to that early but not early enough in some ways. And, and I still lacked some other knowledge. So, so some people could still do damage, you know, um, but, but these things teach that to children and they will be prepared for 90% of, of shit. And they would never, they would never allow abuse to happen to them. They would be even stronger than me, you know, they would just do whatever it takes to, to es escape the shit in case it happens to them. This, it's, it's so important, but of course they won't do that. No one would want to do this because they're scared. I just had, you know what? Sorry that this goes on for very long, but I wanna say this publicly. I recently had another podcast 
with a, a boomer guy um, who is, um, I mean, there are some nice older people, but a lot of the older people are scared and scared of the wrong things. He was a spiritual healer and we had a very long thought about, you know, energy work. Um, and he, off, off record, we talked about what would be optimal, like you asked, what can we do to make the person as good as possible? And that means inside and outside, optimize basically, in my, in my interpretation. And I said, well, you can do this and that and you know, uh, teach people to be as strong as possible and to be as self-sustained as possible, mm. strengthen the psyche. And he was like, yeah, but wouldn't this create, this would create so much confusion if ever, no, he, he said literally, if everybody got enlightened all of a sudden, we would have a catastrophic situation. That is not true. I've had this conversation so many times. If everyone really got enlightened, which is a very high stage of development, okay, and in a fairly endless process as well, once it started, um, the very last thing you will do, want to do, is destroy shit or do something. Maybe, okay, I've heard from some man that for them, the enlightenment process was incredibly dark. They got incredibly depressed. They, they hated everything. It seems that sometimes this happens. Okay, so in this case, I'm not sure, but I don't think, I think the opposite would happen. If you really became all enlightened at the same time, the, 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 the global uh, morphogenetic field, the global aura would be so strong that we'd either sit there completely shell-shocked or we would just sit there grinning happily or I don't know anything, but I don't think it would lead to violence, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. So <laughs> let me just say, I love the fact that you went, you went with different dots that they connect and I'll try to kind of put them together to remind the listener on where we started and then yeah. I'll connect it to what you say. So we started from um, whether you think that a lot of the toxicity is because people don't deal with it, their psyche. And you went on to talk about beautiful things and important topics such as trauma, such as patriarchy, such as psyche, generally speaking, and how that is shaped um, and has been shaped through collective oppression with different sex and gender science suppression. Mm -hmm. And how, because of all these things of how they evolved in history, we have grown to instead have a fluid mind that is also kindness oriented and really encompasses and encourages our real human potential, which is more kindness prone than uh, actually harm prone um, to actually be very rigid simply because so many things have evolved and have happened the way they are and they haven't yet changed to support really um, humans that are healthy and okay with themselves, but also humans that know who they are at the core. So tying this with our topic, kind of redesigning our lives, I think what I've taken from what you just said is that because of how all these things have happened and how we've come to be who we are as a result um, of being influenced of so many structures and systems and people and history as a whole, we haven't yet all had the opportunity to truly tap into 
who we really are, what our psyche is. And because of that, that stands a lot in the way of truly designing a life that we want in a yes. way or another. Yes. Because we, as you said, we base our ideas on what the neighbor says. And given that we have one life, for some reason, the neighbor's opinion or someone else's opinion still matters more than what we do with our own lives. And I find that to be a tragedy <laughs> because if, if such basic things, like we have come to fear such basic things and follow such nonsensical things uh, that actually dictate how we live our lives. And that is very limited in so many ways and it could be so much more. Um, I want to ask you, in terms of kind of mastering your psyche so you could really design a life that you truly want, what has been something that's been useful to you practice-wise or what was something that you've tapped into specifically and you've seen the results afterwards? You did mention a few things that you'd kind of teach younger generations as a way to kind of try to disrupt what has been created in terms of toxicity and different collective collective trauma, but I want to know more about your personal personal experience in terms of the different practices that you would recommend for people to try out and keep up with so that they would connect better with their authentic selves. Again, archetypes and martial arts. Archetypes or archetypal, well, um, Jungian psychology, really, uh, or preferably the post-feminist update to this, like I've mentioned Jean Shinoda Bowling, so these, mm -hmm. these books that she did for men and women, they are basically, they're based on this, but it's more like a post-feminist view. So I would say um, archetypes, why? Because I've always understood the psyche as a, as a multitude. So you have different aspects to your psyche and to yourself. That, that will be individual, you know, certain tastes, etc. Some of us will be more fighters and they will be more prone to be anger-based in their reactions. Other people um, are more fear-based Then there's people who are more like, more react with sadness. Some it, 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 they're different reactions. And archetypes help you very much um, in working with these things because like, for example, everybody has like archetypes are not really things. It's more like they're more like aspects of the psyche, kind of like ideas that we share across cultures as, as, as human, human uh, beings. Um, so like, for example, an archetype would be not necessarily in the Jungian definition, but the way I see it in a modern definition, an archetype would be a lover, a fighter, uh, a destroyer, a sage. These things, we all have these aspects in our psyche, no exception. However, we have different percentages, I would say, of these things in our psyche, okay? Um, like some people are more kind and loving by nature. You might be able to deform them. You know, our society unfortunately deforms them. But naturally, that's what they are. Some people are more fighters, and that's good. Some people are highly competitive. And as long as they have, say, hyper-competitive sports, that's fine too, you know. In this sense, our society is excelled in having options. However, these options remain superficial. Um, so that that is, is, is a super important thing. I use that for myself, of course. So I, I went through these cycles of archetypes. I went through 
inner listening to myself, what do I need? What do I want right now? Do I want to be more wild or do I want to be more quiet? Uh, what does my ideal living environment look like? What does do me good and what is not for me? And I didn't discriminate. It was just like a yes or no period. You know, I, I didn't I didn't attach all these thoughts to it because I had to make such hard decisions as a child. I didn't attach thoughts to it like, oh, but if I'm wilder, is my boyfriend not going to love me? I had this once in my life and it was very destructive, really destructive. But I was, it was a soul connection. So this was not a normal kind of relationship. This was way beyond, unfortunately. But, but normally, in normal relationships, you know, I am who I am, period. Get used to it or leave. It sounds very egomanic, but it's actually not. It's, it's, it's the healthy way. Of course, don't put crazy stuff on other people. You know? I mean, if I want to, I don't know, just uh, be loud and shout around, I try to find an environment where I don't bother people if possible, you know, but, but do it in healthy ways. So experiment with yourself. I did this a lot. And your mind is free. Your mind is huge. You have your own four walls. You can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't create too much noise or whatever, you know. I laugh, I cry. I don't have any problems with these things. So then the next, what was very good for my body and my spirituality was the, was the martial arts, any kind of martial arts. For men, it might, for many men and some, you know, more athletic women that like wild stuff, it would probably be good to do like the more... Hmm, uh, dynamic kinds of martial arts like karate or these things um, and for some people like me qigong like the soft version you know there's even a medical qigong is very very beautiful and meditative and i like it i have the body of a fighter but my mind is more geared towards peace and calm and tranquility so to my surprise something that didn't look like it was the perfect match for me, this Qigong that I tried out um, that came to me at a certain point in life was perfect um, because it is, it is quite intense on the brain and, and that a lot of people underestimate it. It's a very old art mm. and it, it's much harder to practice than what it looks like. Um, it takes a long time and it just, it's, it's beautiful. So these two things. And of course, when I was a child, I created my own way to deal with my psyche. And I had the very stupid idea that I could one day help people with that. But I think the way I worked with my psyche was too individual um, for other people. I had a very, um, I would say, architectural structure. Like, you know, monks in medieval times, um, they, they created the memory palace um, to store memories in. So they basically made their mind, they structured their mind like a big building. Um, I did that to some degree and it helped me move down. So once I've, I'd finished with one story of issues that I allocated to like one level, I moved down further levels. So yeah, maybe a basic structure like this could help people. However, it can only help them if, if these people are very visual uh, and already have a very, very strong, um, I would say, physical idea of their mind, you know, and that's not necessarily everybody's fear. So if you really wanted to create a new kind of archetypal, I would not, maybe not therapy, but archetypal um, development 
scheme, then you would have to look at different types and talk, do a lot of research, talk to a lot of people. But to be honest, I think that's that's the way out, you know, because our planet is burning and we, we are at the, we're five past 12 and we really need to tackle this. And it's really the only option is to start at the bottom, to start at the root of the problem, the root of every single problem we have is that people don't know themselves because a person who knows him or herself doesn't want to be violent is kind and respectful with everybody and naturally kind. And I think this problem we have is that a lot of people are fake kind, you know, mm. fake kind is not true kind. True kind comes from your core. Um, fake, fake kind. Uh, and it also people force themselves. They think they have to be kind all the time and it becomes this superficial thing. Yeah, polite. I, I can be really wild. I can be a real asshole, but only to people who really confront me, you know, but, but I mean, I can be, I can be now with autoimmune anyways, you know, because it's, it's a lot of pain and a lot of hard work, you know, um, to, to survive the day with this. And then I have a lot of stress with, with the company, but, but still, I mean, I'm still the same person and, and I'm generally kind and I like people. So that's not going to change, but it, it developed into this. I, I think maybe I was pretty okay as a child, probably a lot wilder and maybe less um, conscious and less respectful of things around me, but that's normal as a child, you know, because you have to grow and you don't know yourself. You don't know your body. You don't know your mind, but yeah, these, these things were important. And I think they're important for everybody. Hmm. So anyone should just go and find out the ins and outs of their archetypes so that then they would know that and start, start really detaching and taking away judgment and any radical op opinions about different things in their lives because that would ease into how they really interact but also the most important bit would be how they understand themselves because they know all these shades so to say, of themselves. Yeah, but archetypes alone don't cut it. So you have to yeah. go even deeper. But but it's a good starting point. Let's put it this way. And the earlier you start, because for a child, mm. a child starting with archetypes can go deeper. But an adult starting with archetypes, it's it's. I'm not sure if that will work in reverse. You know what I mean? But mm. yeah, yeah. But I yeah, think it would be like beneficial if because archetypes are quite. Um, are easier to understand for the critical mind and many people do operate although we're emotional beings um, many people because there's depth that they haven't accessed yet and they don't know how to translate that or make meaning of it it's easier for them to understand things um, that are quite plain in plain sight and they can judge through their critical mind so that would be a good start um, I guess I do have two more last questions um, after we wrap this up. My next question would be right now in your life, when there's a challenge and a turning point and you design to shift gears and start something new, because it seems like you're doing a lot of things and starting and then changing countries and all that. How do you approach change? How do you approach a challenge? How do you kind of think it through? That's very quick to answer. <laughs> Go on, take your time. <laughs> I, I think a goal, the end goal, uh -huh. the end goal can be like move to the UK 
for whatever reason, um, or uh, get a divorce, or or uh, jump jobs or even industries um, for whatever whatever the motivation was. But I have this goal, and then I work my way backwards. So I try to anticipate roadblocks. So what could happen if? So I think it through a lot. Mm -hmm. I try to adapt my mindset if that needs adaptation, meaning I go to groups, meetups, meet new people, become accustomed with, with the mindset, basically, learn new stuff if it has to be, like stuff in a set of, in sense of qualifications. And if you're open-minded about new stuff, you will not see failure as such a problem. You will see it as a process, you know, it's not, it's not something to worry about. Everybody's dumb at some point in life and it's not nothing to be ashamed about you know i mean uh, it, it, it's really there's always a higher level and and you will always be a beginner somewhere you mm. know and this is what it, they say in spirituality everybody's a yeah. teacher and, and, and a student at some point um yeah and that's it and i i have this specific thing that I have a very strong sensitivity for morphogenetic fields. Like, I don't know, aura is not exactly the same thing, but it's similar. So um, you can also, if you're very sensitive, speed your learning up by surrounding yourself with as many people as possible that have the skill you're looking for or looking at at a very high level. Um, there are some psychologists um, that recommend this, like, um, what's his name? Benjamin Hardy. He, mm -hmm. he wrote this book, Who Not Why, or something like this, or Who Not How, or something like that. So he's, 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 he's been uh, writing two books, actually, that go in this direction. Um, I'm not a fan of his personally, but I think he has good ideas. Mm -hmm. I think he has very good ideas in this sense, and they're true, so, so not bad. So, um, yeah, and then that's be relentless, immerse yourself as much as you can be creative do whatever it takes you know as fast as as you can and consider unusual creative solutions uh, if you don't seem to if you hit a, a, a learning obstacle or something uh, try to do something entirely different or maybe maybe find ways around it you know it's most important thing don't feel shame mm. um and and just try to see it as a process you know mm. again that kind of goes back to t detaching judgment from an action or an outcome because that is what puts pressure and even failure so-called failure um instead of seeing it as kind of the end line or something that says about your worth to let it be feedback of the process <laughs> instead of oh i'm not good i'll never make it i'll never push through i'm such a failure myself so thank you for all these good points um now my last question is you mentioned about being the creator of an ngo called vitruvian vision Mm -hmm. um, where you challenge the idea of what we should teach young people. Mm -hmm. So what is something that you deem important that the younger generations should learn about so, so that their life process, life experience would also be smoother, easier in terms of how they know themselves and how they interact with the world? Young people, specifically Generation Z, due to this uh, internet emotion uh -huh. that they have, face a lot of online bullying which is extremely sad to watch i i wasn't spared by this but i don't i don't experience this like uh, an 18 year old would um so one of the first things they need to learn is express yourself in healthy ways 
don't give a shit, you know, experience, again, experiment with as many outfits and styles and everything, which is healthy anyways, if you're young and you don't know what, what, what's the best for you, you can just try to, you know, just be creative, dress up in all kinds of things, and you will find something that you like. And also the added benefit of these things, that's why we do this flash mob project that we have, is we invite people to dress in whatever they want. Whether it's a drag outfit, they can be amazing from the makeup to everything, or to just a very simple, plain, I don't know, some ethnical dress, maybe. Right? Some of them are not plain, but some of them are fairly simple um, with some embroidery, or, or maybe you can uh, wear um, just a nice evening dress, anything that you feel good in. And as long as you're not naked, because that would cause problems for a public event, <laughs> we invite you to do whatever you want. And it's not just for young people, but it's mainly targeted at young people. So 18 to 25 year olds, because it's, they need to learn that it doesn't bloody matter what somebody else thinks of you. I assume at these events we're trying to do, we will have people who discriminate. I, I'm, I'm expecting that, to be honest. We are definitely going to try not to encourage that, but and we, we will try to deal with it. But uh, I hope we don't have a lot of it because we try to give people this feeling that they can be whoever they want to be. And if they want to come as a pink unicorn, or I don't know, uh, I, I don't care. I really don't care. And I think it's a good to have this kind of public thing where people get the permission somehow to, to, to be themselves in a very obvious way, you know, it's a very simple thing. The whole event, the whole flash mob circle that we do, it's all just about letting people express themselves and giving them a taste of what freedom as yourself could be like. Um, I also expect people to be scared, to be honest. Um, I hope they will not be too scared because we like to have a lot of people there. But yeah, that this is what people need to learn. And this is what we'll do in year number one with this NGO, which by the way, is another manifestation of an idea I had at 19, but the complex ones didn't work. So I'm trying the more simple ones now um, to, in an attempt to hopefully reach people um, with my ideas. And in, uh, from year two, we will exclusively have workshops where we, do, where we work with people. Some of them will be skill-based, some of them will be um, about branding themselves, expressing themselves more. Some of them, uh, and I will need people for that, um, will be dealing with archetypes. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's the same thing I've mentioned, you know, to teach people that knowing, getting to know their body, their spirituality and their mind is central, that they should do it as early as possible that they shouldn't give a crap. I know that's hard because if I were this flooded by social media as a young person, I mean, I was, I was like insecure, which is normal as a young person. And, and, and I had obstacles and people being terrible around me, but this must be so much harder. Nevertheless, I think it can be fixed. And I, I, I'm, I'm, it's an experiment for me, you know? I just try to bring people together and teach them that it doesn't bloody matter what whoever says about you, that all that matters is that you try to express yourself and, on and, and then slowly develop this into um, developing a taste for inner self-growth as well. Because most people, that's how it is, start on the outside with self-expression. So 
yeah, it's 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 in really it's an attempt. I know this again is going to look really crazy to people. Also, the way we do it, not trying to make shitloads of money with it, and not trying to get the easy brands to sponsor us that are the ones that you know provide addictive substances or stuff like that you know because that would be very easy and they give you a lot of money but i don't want that i want a healthy thing that no one i know of has ever organized like this i i i don't know it will probably fail maybe not in any case for me it's learning and learning of about what works and i really hope that people aren't this far gone to not understand that even though this looks simple and maybe silly, it actually has a deeper meaning and it could really make sense. So yeah, that's hopefully has answered the question. <laughs> Thank you a lot. Um, this has been a conversation that has become very profound um, and going around anything from our collective evolution to our psyche, to life lessons, uh, to books and people that have influenced you, but also resources that could help others better understand themselves and um, approach life differently. So it has been a really fruitful conversation, which I'm really thankful for. Um, is there something else you'd want to say or add to anything that has been um, talked about up until now? Yes, support our flash mob project. We have a, <laughs> a, a, a buy me a coffee and and a link tree page. But apart from that, uh, from the from the <laughs> material side, um, well, I think I've really said it all in this and and the Michael Branchel podcast. It's really, it's it's the simple things, the simple truths. You know, they are. They can be transferred in some simple sentences. It's like, listen to your own self, make yourself your own compass, you know, as long as it's friendly. Uh, try to deal with your psyche as soon as possible. Um, it's, I know it's hard because not everybody is this positively minded as you are, or I, as I am, I know. And it's very dangerous path in some ways for young people because there's also a lot of predators in the trade, unfortunately. Mm. And it makes me mad every time I, 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 I hear a story, it really does. But, but you know, you have to just set out on your path and because shit is gonna happen anyway, I just hope though that, you know, that kids get spared by these things. But, but essentially, even if you have a perfect life, there will be things happening to you that are bad. And I hope for everybody that they're not very bad mm. and they're only bad if they really need that to grow because not everyone does. Um, and I just, I really, I, you know, you are perfect the way you are. You can, and even if you aren't in the moment perfect the way you are, no matter how bad your situation is, you can, you can only become perfect as in, in a sense of what you want to be, to live your life to the fullest, to, to be your, your true self. If you let go of all this stupid shame that's so unnecessary and, and shaming from other people, you know, I know how hurtful that can be. It's awful. But the point is, in the worst case, turn off the bloody mobile phone for two weeks. Just kick them, you know, it, it, or if you can, of course, only. But, but try to find an escape. In the worst case, lock yourself in a room and just stay there as long as you can if, if, if that's the only defense you have. Um, try to try to be radical 
in becoming your true self, you know, try to also remain friendly in, in that because some people tend to towards excess, I don't, but, you know, just try to remain friendly um, and don't have so much shame. Don't, don't think that there's anything wrong with you just because you're overweight or, or you, I don't know, you, you, you have something that other people don't like, who cares? You know what? You know what I always like to say? There's, there's one thing, for example, women, most, in most countries, they tell them to be slim. You know, there are tribes and cultures where they want really, really big women. If you're skinny, they consider you something, but definitely not a woman. And of course, it can be discussed now what's healthy and what. But the point is, in the 60s, Twiggy, super skin, looking anemic, looking like a heroin victim was the bomb. Then it was short time later, it was Marilyn Monroe, who had a very feminine figure, a great figure. In, in my mind, you know, skin colors, shapes, uh, the way you're supposed to be as a woman. Hey, in Kudu culture, the women are expected to spell their unfaithful husbands. They're expected to be super bossy. This is something you wouldn't hear of in some European cultures. You know what I mean? It, it, they're expected to be almost like dominatrix-like. In some cultures, you have to be so submissive, you're barely able to breathe. The more you see of the world, expand your mind, and you will notice how vast the possibilities are, and that you don't have to owe anybody. And so don't listen. You will have to train yourself not to listen to other people, as long as you're not doing anything really bad in a sense of hurting other people physically or breaking the law or something like this, you know? Um, it's, it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like. All that matters is that you work on your inside first. And once you're done or you're done with the most basic things, you will know because very few things will be able to shake you. But it's a process and you have to go there and you have to master the courage to start it. Because if you don't start, you will never get there, period. <laughs> the more the more we talk, the more it branches out in different topics. And I'm thinking, oh, so this ties in with this and this and that. And th there's definitely so, so much that can be talked about because it's complex. It's never just a one shot, simple thing. It's layers to all the things that we experience, what happens around. And you touched on so many topics, such as how social media flattens individuality and how people follow um, different truths and standards, although the same standards are just shaking and changing over time. So it's kind of questioning, why do you still follow those things? So I, I really thank you for this conversation. It's been, it's been a journey, a whole journey, both from hearing more about your personal experience and your life and what you've learned, but also the fact that you've encompassed and you've connected so many other topics, which all somehow fell perfectly and with meaning and with purpose under the, the topic of redesigning our lives. And I, I'm, I'm really grateful for just having this conversation. I really have no words at this point of how, um, how the flow went and how far we went, how far out and how far in we went, really. Yes, I'm, I'm also very happy that you had me. And I was very positively surprised at how mature 
you are despite your fairly young age. This is not meant to be pat, you know, patronizing, not at all. I just understand that when you're younger, you can't possibly have this life experience. You won't. It's a fact. But but you are amazingly mature. That's why I thought you you were probably a lot older than I expected. And it's good to see because the more of us, you know, um, have this maturity early in life, the more we can influence others and change things because the world is literally on the verge of going up in flames and we need to do something. And I, I have always wanted to do this since I was nine. So um, I hope we can shift the needle. I know this is naive, but maybe we can, you know. So this is, was a good conversation. And that's why I, I wanted to branch out so much and deposit certain things. I know it has been a lot, but a lot of many, many years of life has gone into this, you know. Um, and, but it comes naturally to me. I mean, you, you've seen it. It's, <laughs> I've thought a lot in my life. I've read a lot. And, um, and, and it's just, it's, these things make sense, you know, it wasn't like some stupid chatter or anything, you know, that wasted time. It was about essential things. This week's episode has been so much more than just the essential things. And it has also been my attempt of sharing more about being human and how as humans we make decisions that lead to our unique life design. I still believe that the best way to learn about designing our life is through the stories of others because that is where the wisdom is and I thank Anima for really sharing the rawness of her life story and her decisions. In this episode we touched on the idea of self-knowing and how that stands at the foundation of one's path and choices and ultimately at the foundation of one's life design. Without any exclusion, we also talked about how the environment we grow up in shapes our way of being and how important in fact it is to be self-aware of this and create a life based on what we want rather than other socially induced fears and the long lingering effects of trauma. I have a lot of things to reflect on because there's also a lot of things that I've learned through this discussion with Anima and I really thank her for this broad discussion that touched on so many areas of our lives and I really hope you have learned something important from it as well. I guess this is for now and if you'll want to hear more of me you know where to find me don't forget to subscribe to the remarkable me podcast and also to my other social media channels where we can keep in touch so see you soon bye